Hey friends, welcome back to Ope. I'm a pastor. We're here to talk about how to serve a big God in small places. I'm Joey. I'm here with my friend Mike. Mike, how's it going? It is going well, Joey. Thanks for asking. And uh, we are both pastors here in rural towns in north central Minnesota. And we believe that Jesus rescued us and God created the church to help us love God and love our neighbor. Uh, we try to take seriously the command to watch over the flock, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously and have a little fun on this podcast here. So we're really glad that you've joined us today. Uh, we like to dig deeper each episode uh, on a particular topic, but today we have ourselves a special guest. We have invited uh, Pastor Michael Simmerman from Owatonna, Minnesota to join us today. So we're really glad to have him. Michael, how's it going? Good, you guys. Thanks, uh, thanks a ton for having me. It's good to be here. Well, Mike, we just want to get started here. Oh, that's going to be confusing. All right, I'm going to stick to it. We got Mike and Michael, so I will be disciplined with that, and then people can try to to keep up. Uh, who's on first? It could be easy. To, you could just throw out either one of those, and then both of us can just respond however we want to, and it just ends up being wide open, and maybe that's better. Oh, that'll be yeah. perfect. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have some fun today. <laughs> Well, part of Obama Pastor is we uh, want to tackle specific topics and dig in deeper, but we also want to hear from pastors around Minnesota and around the Midwest and hear what it's like for them to be pastoring in their churches. Sometimes we're just going to get their perspective, and sometimes we're going to have them help us out uh, digging in on a particular topic. But as we have our first interview today here with Michael, we just want to ask him a little bit about his experience pastoring in the rural church. So Michael, just tell us a little bit about uh, where you're at and how long you've been there. Yeah. I am uh, pastor of Bethel Church in Owatonna, Minnesota, and uh, I have been here in Owatonna since 2012. My uh, first gig at a seminary when uh, my wife and I, after being married for uh, man a whole five months, moved here for my first full-time church ministry gig. I started at the youth pastor here at Bethel for the first four years and then uh, stepped into the senior pastor role in 2016 and have been doing that ever since then. That's what I, I uh, currently serve at now. I grew up in Iowa, so uh, some Midwest background or, or familiarity there. Uh, one of the interesting things that I have found in my time in the Midwest is that every state makes fun of the state below them. So um, I only knew growing up in Iowa that we made fun of people from Missouri, but I had no idea that people in Minnesota made fun of people in Iowa. And then I actually spent uh, a year in college in Missouri, which we won't go into, but down in Missouri to make fun of people in Arkansas. So I don't know if it just gets easier the further you go to make fun of the people below you. Um, but uh, just a random fun little fact there, if you're wondering uh, the people above you usually make fun of you, and that's just uh, kind of what happens. So. It's so true. I will say, I learned yeah. there's there's a line if you get far enough north in a state. So I moved, you know, I, I grew up also in Owatonna, Minnesota, and I uh, moved to Fergus Falls, and we're much further north in Minnesota. And one of the first Sundays I preached up here, I made a, a joke making fun of Iowa and just crickets. And I was like, oh, you guys, that joke would have killed in southern Minnesota. <laughs> Do you make uh, do you make fun of like Southern Minnesota people then? Like, is that what you kind of have to do, or you guys? You know, I've tested the waters with like the Dakotas and Wisconsin. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you got to be closer to a border then. Maybe yeah. that's the maybe that's the key. Yeah. <laughs> you can a little bit get away with North Dakota, but there's some affection here, so it it just doesn't work. But you know, that's maybe a good thing that culturally there's just love. <laughs> so stick with that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh man! That we're going to find out. We're going to have a bunch of listeners from Manitoba who are like, "Yeah, y'all from Minnesota are a bunch of idiots." <laughs> <laughs> you and your southern accent, really? <laughs> oh, so that's great. Uh, on our on our last episode, we were talking about just kind of the different types of rural because every I mean, we're having this podcast to speak to rural pastors um, from all different types of towns and. You know, there's the kind of town where you hold your breath and you drive all the way through, but there's also people identify as rural if they're just outside the suburbs. Um, so, Michael, what kind of rural is Owatonna? Yeah, I'd say Owatonna is, uh, what, it'd be like uh, Target, Target and Lowe's kind of uh, kind of rural. So we're we're 45 minutes from bigger cities. We're a town of probably 25,000 people. 
Um, but we're 45 minutes from Rochester. We're 45 minutes from Mankato. We're 45 minutes from the south suburbs of the Twin Cities. So you can, and most I mean, a lot of people commute and, and, and do that kind of drive there. But there's enough here to survive on. I mean, my, my town in Iowa that I grew up in was like, hold your breath and, and get from one side to the other. So when we kind of looked at Oatana, try to figure out, you know, moving here, what's it like? Man, we saw, man, there's a target in a Starbucks here. Like we can, we can, we can survive forever. This is like fancy schmancy stuff for us, but uh, still one high school. So has a, you know, still kind of that small rural town feel where everybody goes to football games on Friday nights and you hear about the, the basketball team makes the state tournament and we're doing parades and, and, and those kinds of things too. So it's kind of a fun balance where you, you're not, you, you can enjoy some of the cooler things of, of some of the more rural communities, but you don't feel like, man, we got to you know, like drive an hour for resources and make sure that we have our grocery list really down pat because no one's going anywhere for like the next week or something. It's been a kind of a fun little balance of, of that. So that's my context a little bit. No, it's on. Yeah. And Joey, you, you'd probably know more. you grew up here. So you, you, yeah, true. I know it's a little use. interesting. <laughs> yeah, tell me about Owatonna, Michael. This, right. <laughs> this place that I I grew up in, went to high school. I went to those Friday night football games. <laughs> right, right. But no, no, that's I think that's a very accurate description. And you know, you mentioned the the grocery store thing. Is this true for you guys? Uh, whenever we have a snowstorm coming, everyone runs out to the store like they're not going to be able to get there for a week. And I just I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that happen there too? Dude. Yeah, we, we got four grocery stores and they're packed in a snowstorm. And you're like, y'all, this is northern Minnesota. Like everyone has four wheel drive and the streets get plowed within 24 hours, but the stores are packed the day before a storm. <laughs> yep. Okay, yep. just checking. They're not just crazy yeah, you're, here. You're not okay. That okay. okay, all right. No. Uh, Michael, what, uh, what do you appreciate about being a rural pastor? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, probably one of the first things that comes to my mind there is uh, I think I appreciate just the familiarity of culture here. Uh, growing up in Iowa, growing up in Southern Iowa isn't a ton different than growing up in Southern Minnesota. Although, uh, jokingly, I, I tell the story when we when we were candidating here, I was trying to ask people, like, what's what is it like? And, and the weather was one of the things I was most concerned about. And uh, so awesome. I'm from Southern Iowa. What's it, what's it like here? It's not, it's not that much different. Is it? And they're like, Oh no, no, it's, it's exactly the same. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. And uh, the first winter I moved here, it snowed 12 inches on like May 2nd uh, or whatever it was. And, and I just, I, I said, man, you guys really kind of did the bait and switch thing. And they're like, Oh no, 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 that's an anomaly. That's, that never happens. And so, okay, fine. It never happens. And the next winter was the year here that it never got above zero for like 90 days. I mean, it just was as cold as cold could be. So, um, some you things aren't it. right. I was, I was, I felt, I felt mislaid and betrayed and all those things. So some things have not been uh, as similar. And yet, I, I think that probably the point that I was trying to make, um, is, there's kind of an instinctiveness to understanding the culture. You meet people talk about Midwest culture. We've done some, you know, staff searches and, and finding, man, you interviewing from somebody from Florida and they, they just don't quite have the, the Midwest cultural, you know, almost rural town dynamics kind of bead. You just kind of got to work a little harder to understand some of those things. Um, and, and there's enough to, to try to get your mind around when you're, you know, this is my first full-time ministry role. Uh, and so I just appreciated the, the rural aspect of things. I, it's, it's kind of second nature to, to me, uh, and I do enjoy it. I, I, the, the simplicity of it. Um, I went to school in Chicago for almost eight years um, and enjoyed the change, but uh, was thrilled to get back to what I would term uh, what feels me just like a little bit, uh, a little bit simpler. So I, I do appreciate the um, just kind of the familiarity and the instinctualness around the, the small town culture stuff that I, I don't have to think super hard about to just kind of say, oh yeah, that would, of course that would work that way. Um, versus uh, throwing the suburbs or some urban environment. And I'd, I'd be like, yeah, give me, give me a month or two to understand uh, what kind of dynamic you're talking about. But people would say, oh, you know, you grew up there, you just kind of know it. So. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. It, it definitely helps to grow up in it, uh, to minister in it, but you don't, you don't have to. 
Um, I've seen people that have done well who've come from city life, and but there, there's a learning curve. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of assumptions that you have to be careful with, and, and you have to figure some things out, and you know you have to learn how to just how to handle a four way stop. <laughs> some of the basic things <laughs> when you go out into the rural. If you have figured out how to navigate a four-way stop, I'm all yours. I, uh, I or, or we should get right, lessons. The right of way. The one on the man, right, oh, man. The right of way. <laughs> and if you all arrive at the same time, then it's the hand signals. But all we, are, uh, yeah, we all forgot that day in driver's ed, apparently. So I think it's just whoever you goes know. first. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I just, I'm done being patient. I just put the put the foot down. So. And that, I mean, that is the, that's the default. Like that's how you, that's the pragmatic way to get it done. But yeah, I think I remember that. They're like, yeah, right. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I go up and some person on the right and I'm like waiting for them. And my wife's like, why don't you just go? I'm like, cause, cause they have the right of way. I'm firstborn. And- Although I hear Oatana is trying to fix it by putting roundabouts everywhere. So maybe that's the answer. Which is terrible because you anybody over seventy just drives straight through it. Like you just, just I mean, they don't even they, they they drive over the circle. They don't even care. They just they just buzz right through. So oh, that's fantastic. I, I like I, there's something about that mentality too that I can I can appreciate. It's like that. Well, I've I've gone straight here for the last seventy years and it's worked fine for me. You figure it out. <laughs> I uh, you know, the other thing that uh, I, I think. I have I have appreciated about rural rural ministry that that's maybe unique compared to some other settings is um, I, I just and and maybe you could put this in a it, it could be positive or negative depending but I, I think there's such a clear uh, church witness in the larger community uh, that can easily be lost in in larger settings I did some of my internships at the end of, of seminary in some churches in the suburbs and, and and as soon as you start you know getting into neighborhoods or talking to kids at, at high schools. Uh, did a lot of youth ministry stuff then, and and you know you you say the name of your church, and they're like what, or they just kind of smile and nod. Versus man in Oatana, Bethel has a reputation, and uh, you could talk to people about Bethel Church, and they they know the church, they know people who go to the church, and and you think about Christ's command to be, uh, or just his statement of fact, you you are a city on a hill, a rural community provides the opportunity for an actual church body to really clearly display what a pursuit of Jesus looks like and of course all of its imperfections but you know you could you could organize a community service project as a church on a weekend um, and you can you recognition is the wrong word because it's not about recognition but man when, when you think about displaying for a watching world, the kind of heart Christ has for people. Um, smaller communities give, a, I, I think, a, a, a clearer view or uh, an easier way to see that. And, and you can kind of tell, even as I finish that up, that, that can work both ways. I, I could tell you the positive kinds of reputations that our church has in our community, but I could also tell you the negative ones and the kinds of things we're working to, uh, you know, correct and <laughs> Uh, work against, but I do like that. I, I do like that ch- churches in rural communities are their their impact is not lost, um, and it really gives a, a a good opportunity to to be that light in the hill that Jesus talks about. Oh, absolutely. That that's a great point. I mean, it's it happens all the time. I, I talk to people and they say, "Oh, oh, you're at crossroads," and then they they always have some follow up at our church. A lot of times, it's, "Oh, that's the church with Awana." You know, my grandkids go there and they love it. And then, and then it leads to the, them saying, thank you so much, you know, for providing this ministry. And, and then you have a conversation, you can easily get to the gospel from there. And it's fun to have that reputation and that opportunity to be known. Well, I was talking to a, a mentor of mine the other day, and I'd be interested in, you know, we can sidetrack this or, or whatever you guys want to do with it. But I, I kind of asked him the question because he, uh, he's, uh, a director at a conference and, and so meets with talks with a lot of church pastors and I just said, you know, what are you what are you seeing? Some of the changes past COVID, you know, what I mean, like like some some of the more cultural changes and then what does the church need to do to to adjust to that and to make sure that we're still reaching people in, in the world that we currently exist in now. And and kind of without flinching, he just said we're we're post-Christian. Either maybe we were before COVID, but we certainly are now, which means 
you just are never going to talk to someone who doesn't go to church and not have them have some amount of negative baggage that they've already associated with pastors. Pa- pastors are creepy. Pastors are, uh, you know what I mean? Constantly, you know, doing terrible things or church people are this, or my experience has been that. So, so, you know, his deal is, man, we've got to just start serving. We've, we've got to be uh, loving. We've got to be showing that we are, we are different than what those stereotypes and certainly in the negative ways are. And, and so even as I was kind of connecting some of those dots, I'm like, yeah, that there's, there's good opportunity to do that in maybe some ways that could really, um, I don't know, really practically speed that up when your community's smaller and you got a chance just to say, Hey, this is who we are. And, and people can see that a lot clearer, but man, he kind of talked about that post-Christian idea and you don't go to church. You, you've got some negative baggage about church and, um, that's a hurdle. That's a hurdle. We got to help people over. And I think the opportunity to serve a community in a really visible way is a, a great way to start. Oh, that's so true. And and this is probably a whole other uh, podcast episode, but a lot of people's, you know, deconstruction stories, whatever you want to call it that I've heard recently, they do involve, this is what a church did to me or a pastor yeah. did. And so you're right. There's definitely that reputation or that experience they've we're post-Christian, but it doesn't mean they haven't had an interaction with the church. So. Yes, which, which, and, I, and again, I think, I think if you're in the suburbs and you're like, oh, a church is doing this, right? I've got my baggage, but a church is serving. Someone's like, oh, I guess a, a church is, is doing something versus a, a smaller community and you're doing something. You're like, wait, where, where are you guys from, right? And, and now all of a sudden I've got, a, I've got names and faces and somewhere I've heard of that might be doing something a little different than what my stereotypes are. And I think that on-ramp just stretches a little further to uh, maybe help people come on up and and to uh, to do that, to find you, to get plugged in, to ask questions, whatever that would look like. Yeah. I mean, churches have reputations and there's, there's positives and negatives, but one of my favorite questions to ask uh, a pastor, especially when, I, when I'm first meeting a pastor, just trying to get to know them is, what do you love and appreciate about your church? You know, what are one or two things? So I'd love to just ask you that. What do you love and appreciate about Bethel Church? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I uh, probably at the top of my list is just our, the love for the Word of God is uh, such a refreshing thing. Uh, it's what attracted me to move here in the first place, um, and everything goes back to the Word of God. I think I've grown an even greater appreciation for that in the last three to five years as we've done a lot of pivoting. And yet, have kept that to be our focus. And and you guys know it. No, nobody nobody likes change. Uh, change is hard. Change isn't easy. Uh, you gotta no, you gotta be motivated to to do that. Rural churches are all about change. We just we just every season. <laughs> so as as we've needed to do a lot of changing, I have been so uh, encouraged. Just just encouraged by so many of our people. Man, this is uncomfortable. And we don't like it, but we see it in the word and we need to do it anyway. Um, has just been such a refreshing thing. So I, I love the love for the word that we have in our body, the way that that allows us to encourage and strengthen each other uh, and really to continue to keep that attitude of, man, yeah, a lot of, a lot of things change, but the word does not. And, and so to continue to focus on that, to respond to that has been um, just super encouraging for me. The other thing about our body that I, I guess I I would certainly have to brag on is just their their love for me, for my family um, over the last ten years. And I mentioned it before. This is this is my first gig. I mean, I I just I didn't have really a clue as to what I was doing in any real practical way, um, and yet this has been family for us. We've had two kids here and. You know, I mean, we, they they throw us showers and they babysit them and they they you know now they they we train them up in children's ministry classes and um, it's just been incredibly rich and I've been so thankful for the grace and you know even the willingness to say hard things. Hey man, that was a that was a dumb move. Probably shouldn't do that again. Um, and and the mentoring and the different things. So just a, a real love and encouragement from people. It, it, it feels like a spiritual family, uh, even to the point, and, and this is probably another conversation for another podcast as well, but I'm on sabbatical right now. I've been uh, graciously allowed to do that by uh, my church and 
uh, one of the things we were trying to talk through as we were planning this out months ago was, will, will I attend Bethel while I'm on sabbatical or will I like not be allowed to do that? And, and that's, that's, that's the, the, the kind of debated conversation. And, but at the end of the day, my wife and I both agreed. I mean, some, some pastors take sabbaticals and like, I just need a break from my people. Uh, we, we were so not there and I cannot imagine not being able to gather with uh, our spiritual family for the, the entirety of my sabbatical. So we kind of joke, we're going to attend church and have been attending church this summer, kind of like everybody in Minnesota. It's like, well, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a nice weekend. Let's, let's go up North or let's uh, do those kinds of things. So we do not go every week. Like I would, if I was uh, not on sabbatical, but we, we love the church family here, love the richness of being a part of that spiritual body uh, and have been so thankful for a church that's, uh, small enough where you can be known and loved, and uh, certainly we felt that here at uh, at Bethlehem Oatana. I just love that the vision that like just kind of picture you know that you've you've painted about um, you know church and just rural the opportunities that we have uh, ministering in more rural contexts of of that fam that kind of familial unity and redeeming what that looks like uh, as well as. Um, you know, you talked about like the, the change that's happening in culture and that, yeah, while we in our communities can be a little bit averse to change, there's also a piece that we get to be a constant. And so I love like hearing your people going, I see it and I, and I don't agree with it necessarily, but I know that if it's in the work, that that is unchanging and that is where I'm rooted and grounded. And so if it says it, I'm going to do it. And like, what a, what a refreshment that is to our society. And, and to those around that kind of looking in, just going, hey, I know what I'm going to get when I'm with these people because it's going to be consistent with this book and, and what's, you know, and who Jesus is. So that's, you know, I love that. I'm glad that that's, that's something that's going on in your church. And I think it's such a great picture for like what we can be shooting for and, and what is, what's available to us and, and to our people. Amen. Amen. Well, I mean, you, you, you lose everything, don't you? I mean, if, if you're, it's the, change gurus would say, uh, you know, before you can get people to change with you, you've got to have some baseline of commonality. Like, Hey, we all, we all agree that this foundational thing is important. And if that's the case here, let's, let's move, you know, from A to B together. Um, man, if, if you, if your conviction around the word of God begins to erode, man, what do you, how do you do anything at that point? You know, your, your compass is, is broke and everything becomes more challenging and you're, you're, you're tossed to and fro by every wind and, and change of doctrine. And sadly, a lot of it's happening, obviously in a lot of churches and it's, it's happened throughout history, but uh, man, the word of God is such a crucial, crucial piece. Can't, can't go without it, obviously. Word. And the uh, word. I, I think amen to myself. It's so encouraging to hear that those are the things you love about your church. And, and just to hear that there's a church body out there right now that loves the word that much and, and loves and cares for uh, their pastor and their family. Because this is a season in the last few years where many people are stepping out of ministry and walking away. And yeah. there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of frustration. And, uh, you know, some of that is is on the pastors and, and how they're approaching it and choices they're making. And, and some of the challenge there is... Um, how pastors are cared for by their congregations. And so it's encouraging to hear that you're having such an incredible experience and that you want to be there during your sabbatical on Sunday is a real testament. I, I've known a lot of pastors that have gone on sabbatical and most of them do not choose to be there on Sunday during that time. And so I, I think that's an awesome testament to, to your congregation and how they're loving you. Amen. No, amen. And there's not a right or wrong. I mean, saying that the way that I did, I mean, like, I'll I'm, I'm more spiritual and healthy because I really want to be around, even though I don't have to be around there's, there's going to depend on the situation, obviously, but uh, no, you're right. It's, it's, it's a testament to just the love they have for sure. So. Well, and one of the things that you mentioned when you were sharing in there was just, you know, this is the first place you've been and they loved you through, you know, the early days. Uh, you know, I remember I was there for your, your first sermon you preached at Bethel and <laughs> it was good for a first sermon. You know, we, we've all been there. <laughs> I still oh, remember yes. a particular oh, yeah. uh, story nice, nice that you shared. Joey, nice <laughs> yep. Still remember a particular story you shared that day that I won't share again here because it was just like, huh, that's that's interesting. Don't know if I would have gone there, but 
Not that I'm speaking from I, a place of expertise. It's just funny to look back on on beginnings. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go anywhere. And in fact, I mean, you, maybe you guys tell me if you've ever heard this dynamic, but I, I just preached at a, I told you I was visiting a guy, a mentor of mine this last weekend, and I had the uh, privilege of speaking at his church. And, and you know, so you, you're like, oh, I, I know I've got a good sermon on this. I'll I'll just dig that up. And then you dig it up. And you read it and you're like, oh, my goodness, I, I preached this once. This is this is terrible. This how, how do people, you know, and then you're, you're trying to be like, so anyway, yeah, you look back on things. And you're like, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of growth. There's on the one hand, and, yeah. on the one hand, that's discouraging. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, good. I hope that in 10 years I look back at what I'm doing now and I go, huh, that could be better because I right, become right. better at it. You know, if I yeah, look back 10 years and go, oh, that. That sermon from ten years ago is the best one I ever did. It might make me go, um, hmm. What does that mean? That, that's not what you want. But that's that's I brought this up just to say that's part of why we're doing this podcast is because you know we call this hope oh, I'm a pastor, and some of that inherent in there is, oh boy, I'm a pastor. <laughs> like, should I be doing yeah. this? You know, is am I good enough to do this? And there are days where we just don't feel equipped to do this as well as we want to. But God still calls it, us to it. And even our very first sermons, I mean, there are people uh, that are blessed by that. And God is using his word even in those times where it's just our beginning and we're not great at it. And I appreciate that. And I've had so many people um, share that wisdom with me and, and it's encouraging. So That's true. It's always him. Always him. Uh, let's continue on here and, and go back. You know, we've talked a lot about the, we've had our little kumbaya here, but now, you know, it is also helpful for other pastors to hear what are some of the challenges of not just being at your church, but being in a rural setting. Um, you know, you have been in Chicago and you've worked in other churches. So what do you find challenging being in a rural church? Well, I mentioned it before. I, I think, uh, is as much as Christ likeness can be reflected and work in your favor in a surrounding community, um, you know, there's the shadow side of that where, oh yeah, that you're the you're the country club church, or you know, you're the you're, you're that church where you know, however many years ago, you know, this sort of thing happened, or my family had this experience there, or any of those things that way. So um, that that could be a challenge in in a small community to overcome reputation. Um, certainly is uh is a part of it um the the only other you know obvious one i think i can maybe state out of the gate is resources are just different i i think it just takes a little i don't know everything in small town is simple so if, you, if you're coming in saying like man i just watched this incredible you know light show of a you know worship night by you know, name, fill in the blank of, you know, church who can do a lot of production value and, and those kinds of things. And man, how do we, how do we do that here? Um, the, the answer is you, you don't, you can't, there's, there's just not quite the, the resources in a smaller setting as uh, others have. And that's not something to apologize for, but I think it takes uh, just, just a level of, of creativity sometimes even, uh, and we, we don't have this. I, I've, uh, you know, I told you we're, we're kind of target lows, rural, uh, and I even have on my staff team a full-time, he's, he's part-time worship and part-time building and grounds, which I've never heard of that combination in, in a past reason, but he's just, he's got that gift. He's incredible musically. And he spent 10 to 15 years as a, a building contractor. Uh, and, and one of the things we say, you know, given our rural context is everyone wears at least two hats. We, we don't have that luxury of, uh, you know, this is, this is all you have to do because we've got 25 pastors and you can just focus on this one area of uh of specialty but where i was going with that some some churches are so rural uh you need to you need to get creative in terms of like finding people who can lead worship on a week-to-week basis just so that people can follow along and and not be distracted so when you're um yeah i think in a rural context it's a little smaller and there's some creativity needed at times to um be able to do some of the even just week-to-week stuff of uh, gathering and singing. Uh, we talk about sabbatical right now. So pulpit fill, you know, who, who you find to uh, preach in a way that obviously the Lord is going to empower, but you, you want to be able to follow them. You want to be able to know what they're saying. They got to have a point at the end. Uh, that's, you know, easy to, to walk away with. So I think um, creativity can be uh, needed. Got kind of on a similar note and Joey, I know you guys are 
um, kind of in this realm right now as well. We've we've tried to make a couple of hires uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, join the club, right? Of however many churches that are are looking for pastors, um, and, and and sometimes it feels hard to compete. You know, so we're we're 45 minutes to an hour south of the Twin Cities, uh, where you know you, your people are people are always looking at more than one church. So you know, we, we just hired a, a youth and online engagement guy, uh, phenomenal fit for us. But you know, in the context of talking and searching and you know giving people a, a taste of who we are, what you understand at the same time is. Okay, I could do the I could do the five things that Michael says I have to do if I you know jump in at uh, at Bethel or uh, I could do do the I could just have this one focus at this other church in the suburbs and uh, you know and they got more than Target up there they got a lot of things and and so in some ways odd ways uh, and this is probably a worldly way of looking at it, it feels like you're 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 kind of competing in ways that you just yeah hey you gotta you gotta feel called here you gotta you gotta know that it's the call of God on your life to want to stay because there's a lot of things we can't offer. Uh, that a lot of larger churches in, in some more more urban areas certainly could. Um, so anyway, that's a couple on top of my head. But you know that that luxury of generalist to specialist, I think, kind of plays as well. The smaller your context, the more you need people to wear more than one hat, and that I think can be challenging in a rural setting. And and again, creativity is the word I'll continue to use. Because when we were looking for a worship guy, we did not think we were looking for a worship and grounds guy, but that's who we got. And, and we're, you can realize, okay, this is where that uh, giftedness lies. Let's let's put that together. But now you've got four other areas that you need to figure out how to kind of get covered, whether you do that in a staff way or more often if you're rural, you're, you're trying to figure that out in a volunteer kind of way. And so then you start to think through how do you how do you train uh, volunteers, how do you do good leadership development with unpaid people? Um, and that can be challenges, maybe a strong word, but certainly it just takes energy, it takes energy, it takes attention, um, and, uh, a good focus there as well. Worshiping grounds is so unique. Does his job description just say, get her done? <laughs> you know what? And that it, it, it should. And that is, that is so the kind of guy is, you know, you just, yeah, we, hey, we, we need, I don't know how it's going to happen, man, but we need, we need this. And, and he'll look at you and he'll be like, yep, on it. And it never fails. It, it, it happens. It, it happens. So blessed, blessed that way. But I, I had never really, I think in my mind coming into the job, that, that'd be certainly one of the ways I've grown in the last six years, certainly since jumping into the senior pastor role. Um, I think I had some preconceived categories of what pastors a church could get, right? You've got a, You've got an adult ministry role and you've got a youth role and you've got a children's role and you've got a worship role. And how are you going to find, you know, someone who fits that role? And I have just totally let that go and, and just, OK, here, here are the needs. Uh, here are the people we have. How, how are these people gifted and how do we, you know, even sometimes shift those things around? Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, switching hats and, and wearing those things. But I, I, I've loved that kind of freedom to be flexible and, and saying, Hey, God's gifted everybody uniquely. And uh, we want to make sure that we're not uh, trying to put a square peg in a round hole. If, if you're round, let's, let's put you in a place that you fit. So. I love that prayer too, of like, all right, Lord, here are the needs. Here are the people. You've given us the tools that we need to be that city on the hill. How do we do this? Oh, we're going to do it through a, a, a former contractor who can also play really great music. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, let's let's do that. That wasn't in the that wasn't in the book in school, but uh, yeah, here it is in the real world. So let's let's do it. Let's get it done. Yep. Yep. Right on. I also appreciate it. You talked about the very real challenge, and I think it's true. I don't think it's just perception. When you're looking to hire in a place like Oatana and you're comparing it to the suburbs, there are some things that make it less attractive. Yes, it's worldly, but it's also just how life is. But on the yeah. other hand, you said something, you know, if you're going to come to Watana, you need to feel called to it. And that's yeah. true. I've experienced that too in hiring people here. But on the upside, if someone comes to you to work in your church and become a part of your church family, it's because God has really led them there and they feel called to it. Not that that's not true when someone goes to work in a church in a suburb or in a city, but I feel like there's this extra sense of you really need to feel called to this. And there's an upside to that. Well, 
We have a couple more questions to get to. Uh, we don't want to go too long here, but I just wanted to, to ask a few more things here. It, it's fun to unpack what's going on in your church and, and your setting. So what is one thing that God has led your church towards or through in the last few years that has strengthened your church? You know, right now we're in uh, a James. We just started for the summer. And, you know, it says, take joy in trials. And uh, we don't always want to do that, but God does use those trials to strengthen us. Well, and you know, probably no one else is saying this, but uh, COVID, COVID would be my answer to that. That's uh, weird. <laughs> really, COVID? <laughs> We've heard about it's that. A really unique thing. I don't know if anybody else in the world experienced that in the last three to five years, or the kind of impact that it had. But, yeah, tell us what's that. Uh, what that's like. We don't really know. <laughs> that's been big for you. That's uh, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of challenge there. You know, as I as I. You know, so try, trying to drill down from there, that, that's been the disruption that we've all been going through. And I tell you, I, I think, and I don't want to throw the word deconstruction around, but if, if, I, if I had to go through, if I went through a period, a bit of a period of deconstructing, uh, like what am, what am I doing as a pastor of a rural congregation? It was it was certainly through COVID and, and asking the question, um, what makes a local church unique um what what kinds of things should we be doing this is a really basic question you can get lost in this in, in the week-to-week stuff and, and COVID really brought it to the surface um if you know so so if, if, if you so you can't go to church for a while right and and you uh we kind of had to do that hiccup there in march april of, of 2020 and you go online and, and i think the just to be very raw the first thing I realized when we went online was um, you could find better content online than what our church is going to provide in the first few live streams that we attempted to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not the preacher that John Piper is, you know, spoiler alert. So if, if you're online and, and you are trying to figure out just how to consume spiritual content, if that's all churches become for you, we don't need to exist as a church anymore. And so now you're really as leaders drilling down on that question, what, what is, what is unique about the local church and and how do we really make sure that our focus is in those areas in particular, our small groups are developing of leaders are, you know, visiting people, supporting each other, the kind of, uh, unique fellowship of a local congregation who knows what you're walking through can uh, encourage you in these different ways and work those things through. So it, it wasn't new information necessarily, but for sure that that shifted um, a real focus for us. What, what do you need here at Bethel Church in Owatonna that you can't get anywhere else? And And so uh, then as leaders to start to say, all right, our, our time, our energy, our focus uh, isn't going to be as much in those areas of, um, yeah, what do we need to provide people so that they can consume things spiritually? Uh, but what's it look like to be a local body that the people here cannot do without? Um, and and that, that sharpening focus that, that kind of began at the beginning of covid uh, and the Lord has certainly used in, in a ton of ways since then has for sure been one of the greatest areas of uh, growth and focus for us as a, as a body. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that was a, that was a, that was a big moment for us as a church. That's such a helpful and focusing question too. You know, like you said, there's so much content out there. I remember sp- talking with somebody even before COVID and uh, they just posed the question, like, what is it like to compete against that? You know, you mentioned John Piper, so, you know, you've got, all these different pastors that are out there that I can podcast, like, what's it like to compete with them? So well, I'm not in competition with them. Um, but then, you know, so that, I think as a lot of pastors, like we've had that in the background of a well, you know, I, I know my people, the person on the podcast doesn't, but I think COVID, you know, that question that you raise of what can, what can a person get here? What can we as a church provide here that people can't get anywhere else? all of a sudden just became so much more apparent to so many more of our people. And I think that's, that's such an important thing to wrestle with and, and to help people to see and, 
I mean, it just really brings into to, to great clarity our mission. You know, it's like, yeah, nobody, you can't go anywhere else to get the gospel. That's, that's what we got. Yeah. Well, and another, just a, another quick example as, as an answer that we kind of discovered to that question, and we didn't do it alone. I, I Carrie Newhoff was the first one that um, kind of brought this out. And I, and I know I felt it more, you know, pronounced as those things happened. Uh, but you just think through all of the information that's on uh, online, on the internet, and, and good, solid stuff. But a lot of like really not solid stuff. I mean, if you were to, you just imagine like you Googled the phrase, like what's the meaning of life? Um, <laughs> I, I don't even want to know what the, the top 10 results would be. Um, but if you've got people in your community asking that question, the, the value that a local church, a local pastor, local small group leaders can provide uh, is not so much to create content. So we, we don't as a church anymore feel the pressure to create our own curriculum, write it out what's the meaning of life and and let's walk our people through this you know six week series that we just created from scratch on what that is uh newhoff would say uh the 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 new need is for not creators but for curators so think of like a museum curator that not Mm -hmm. not the one who's actually painting the pictures but the one who is saying this is the best stuff and we are going to collect these and we are going to show these at the museum because this is what's good and and then as a museum goer i can go and benefit from that curator finding what's out there knowing what's solid and then putting that out there similarly as a as a shepherd doing that discerning work for your people saying there's a lot of people speaking about a lot of stuff today a lot of voices a lot of damaging voices a lot of stuff that's a little bit off and you're not going to realize it at first but it's going in a dangerous direction uh, let let me put together. Let me constantly be referencing. Let me be pointing you to, not not stuff that we're we're you know making from scratch, but stuff that uh, we know is solid, stuff that you could be edified by, and stuff that we can use to disciple you in. But that that would just be one example of something we realize. Okay, um, now that this is changing, what, what's indispensable about what we're doing as a local church and helping people discern uh, good information, strong information the kind of information they need based on what they're walking through right now. No, no one knows that, uh, you know, online with, with random messages, but you do as, as a shepherd, as a leader, as a pastor, you do know that about your people. Uh, and so really to, to love and serve in that way is uh, just one example of, of an answer we found. So. so you mean there's still like some validity in the rural pastor actually being able to like sit across from and be in physical presence with one another? Huh? Interesting. In person, man, in person. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, there's something about like a fleshiness, like the word can become flesh dwells among. Oh, interesting. Huh. That's right. I like that. Profound. Like that. That's, that's profound. <laughs> we uh, never use sarcasm here on the Obama Pastor podcast. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> that's not, not the Midwestern way, of course. <laughs> Always about direct affirmation. <laughs> Uh, so this is a, a bit of an interesting question as we transition here. We're, we're about to wrap up, but you know, you're on sabbatical. Uh, this is a question I like to ask pastors, especially during this season. But you know, on a scale from one to ten, one being burnout and ten being energized and on mission. You know, maybe where did you feel like you were before sabbatical, and kind of what do you do, if anything, to try to be intentional about staying energized and healthy and, and not approaching burnout in ministry. No, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I, for sure. Um, did you give me a scale? Is there a one to ten scale? Yeah, yep, one to ten. Um, I, 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 as we one is burnout, ten is you're doing good. As we sit here today, I'm probably at a seven and and trending up. Uh, before my sabbatical started, and I've been on sabbatical for a month now. Before my sabbatical started, I was I was significantly lower than that. Um, but side note. Those of you who are thinking of doing a sabbatical, you're listening to this and, and you'll you have in the future, man, the uniqueness of of amping up to a sabbatical is is the, the logistics and those things. And here just side thing that you didn't ask and probably nobody cares about. But I've I've never had to, you know, as a pastor, there, there's a luxury of being able to say, you know what, that's a great question. Let's get coffee next week and talk about that. Or oh, that's that's something that needs to be addressed. Let's get together. Next week, you, when, when you have a spectacle coming up, you, you utterly lose that luxury and you just end up squishing everything into, uh, you know, the, this kind of crazy time. So between the Easter push and then, you know, I was on sabbatical three or four weeks after that, 
Um, I, I think my my number dipped much lower, but I could see the finish line, and so that was uh, that was helpful there. COVID was rough. I mean, did just answer your question again? Not telling anybody anything that they didn't know, but it was funny. Um, I don't know if you guys could relate with this. And Joey, you and I talked some through uh, some of those early stages, but um, for the first time in in all of my years, not more sarcasm uh, <laughs> of ministry, is it the uniqueness of man when 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 the race conversation began. So whenever the George Floyd uh, thing happened. I was doing okay prior to that, but as soon as we started fighting about that on, you know, on, on top of all of the COVID stuff, I, 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 for the first time experienced kind of getting up in the morning, getting around and normally you, you, you want to start the day and you turn the key to the proverbial car uh, and, and the engine starts up and you're like, yeah, let's, let's go do this thing. And something, something, something broke there where I went to turn the key one day and like nothing happened. Uh, and I was like, Oh, that's, that's new. I, I like, don't want to, I don't want to do this. And, and so kind of had to uh, start grappling with like, I, I think I'm, I think I'm on the edge of burnout here. Um, I don't want to quit life. I don't, you know what I mean? I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't far, far down the hole, but I could, I could see it. Um, and so I, I kind of committed then that was, that was early summer of 2020. And I kind of said, and I talked to my elders and I just said, Hey, um, my goal this summer is going to be to, um, every week regain a slight amount of energy more than what I spent. So if, uh, if you notice that I'm coming in a little later on Fridays, cause I got around a golf in before, uh, I did that or, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm out. I don't know. I don't run, but I, I, I wish I could say that I did healthy things, right? Health, healthier things to, to kind of just say, I, I don't, I, I can't duck out right now, but I, I think I can, I think I can arrange my week in a way with my elders permission to try to regain a little more. So by the time I get to the end of summer, which in, in rural communities, certainly in, in Minnesota, people are, you know, leaving town. Summer's a little lighter, uh, a little easier to back off a little bit, but if we get, hey, fall's coming, how, how do you regain energy over the next three months? and um, I found that to, to work. I found that to be helpful. Uh, and I would say by the time we hit fall of 2020, I felt like I had, uh, I felt like the car was starting again. I felt like I, I had, I had fourth gear. I, I felt like I was missing that, that last year, that fifth year. I'm, I'm kind of regaining that now as I get a chance to, um, really rest and, uh, kind of focus on the Lord in some unique ways here during sabbatical. Uh, but to kind of answer your question, what, you know, what would you do to recover some of that? Honestly, um, summer of 2020 was about the time that I brought up to the elders. Um, and, and I want the sabbatical. I think I need, I've, I've been here 10 years. Uh, our, our policy says you can, you can take one if you've been here for more than five. Um, and, and not because I think this is a good idea to, to say, Hey, if you're taking a sabbatical, you know, burn, burn yourself out, then take a sabbatical, recover, and then burn yourself out again, and then take another sabbatical. I mean, that, that would be unhealthy. Um, but to say, man, the world has changed so much. I, I think the the overwhelmingness of, I don't quite have the instincts that I did to know how to, uh, are we effectively reaching? I, I just need to step back. I need to step back. I need to get a clearer vision for the future. Uh, I think the way that's going to fill me is huge. So I, I don't want to just dive right into one, but let's get one on the calendar so that I can start to see, um, that coming and, uh, be ready for that. I think that was, that was one of the biggest things I did both, both in the moment when I, when I really felt my energy levels dip, uh, and even looking to the future to say, um, yeah, I want to, want to proactively think through how to, how to get the things going that way. And sabbatical is a total luxury. It's, it's not a need, um, it's, it's not deserved. You don't earn it after you, you know, been, I mean, like a lot of people just don't have, uh, that, that gift, but I think all of us in whatever ministry context we're in, uh, can talk to elders and can say, Hey, here's where I'm at. Uh, what would it look like to get creative with where I am to regain what I know I need? So, uh, if that's, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in the summer when things are a little bit slower to focus on a, you know, a, a couple of different things, Whatever looks, I just encourage anybody if, uh, if you're feeling that that dip, to say, hey, let's let's talk to the elders and let's get creative. Um, it'd just be a, a good idea. And I think we're all limping a little bit in one, one way or another, and so it's uh, about trying to figure out how to recover that in some healthy ways. I love the 
just yeah how do i arrange i love the phrase you use how do i arrange my week with elder permission and i just love that like group interaction that that we can have i mean someone called that discernment right i'm just like inviting other people into that conversation so that it's less of a demand and more of a, a group decision that says yeah this is what's in line with what's best for everybody not just those at the table but the whole congregation and yeah i mean just the humility that you have in that that's that's super cool well right all all of us all of us would rather have a conversation and it's hard it's hard but all of us would rather have the conversation early on to say hey i'm I'm hurting a little bit. I, it, this isn't dramatic, uh, but but the last thing I want to do is come in here, you know, however many months from now, and being like I'm done. I don't I don't know right. how I don't know what weighs up anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, so you you start to you start to smell a little smoke, or you start to realize, man, I don't think things aren't something's changed. And I'm trying to figure it out. The, the more transparency you can have with, you know, men of God, other shepherds who love and care for you and the flock, and you can bring that wise counsel in, man. The sooner the better. Um, no, nobody wants to be at the end of that road where you realize, man, I think it might be too late. And and so the the earlier you get that out there, the the healthier that is. Well, I really appreciate this, Michael. You've given us a ton to think about and a really helpful perspective on rural ministry. And I think it's only fair uh, we got to question you for the last forty five minutes. Is there anything you want to ask us? Um. Yeah, I would say, you know. One one question that that I got, and this this to me give you guys a chance to just talk about like why you're doing this podcast. But but one of the things that I've been wrestling with, and I was just talking to another rural pastor just this last weekend about this question. But um, what what does faithful ministry look like for rural church shepherds? Really, compared to bigger named, more well known guys, I, I, and maybe this is my own sin nature. Um, but you know, the desire to compare yourself to other pastors and most other well-known pastors are in a very different context than, than what we are. Um, but I, I have not talked to many rural pastors who have a really clear idea on what, what does faithfulness look like for me in my context? And, and so, um, that, that's just a, that's a question I've been wrestling with, uh, of late, and maybe gives you guys a chance to to speak to that. And even I, I'm certain maybe a bit of a layup there in terms of, of why you're doing this podcast, but um, such a needed, a needed question to be asking and clarity to find, but that's where, that's where my mind's been here in the last week or two. Oh, that's an awesome well, question. Yeah. I appreciate it. Mike, did you have something? Oh, I was just thinking like you drop that question to, I mean, you know, obviously I mean, if anybody's here still listening um, you know, good on you. And I'm just thinking you drop a question like that after all you've given, and then you're going to ask two other people that, that preach fairly regularly to like throw their thoughts in. And I'm thinking I've got to eat dinner tonight at some point in time. And it's not, I haven't eaten lunch yet just to give people a, a framework for what time of the day we're recording this. Um, cause yeah, that's one that I think I could go on and on about. So, um, I'll maybe yield the floor for half a second to uh, to trim my thoughts, Joey. If you wanna if you wanna chime in, otherwise, yeah, I can I can riff on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely should do a whole episode on what does a, a faithful ministry look like for rural shepherds. You're um, welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. There's, yeah, there's thank your, you. There's yep. your episode for for down the road. You, you teed that up <laughs> very well. Like, oh, that would be a good future episode. We got about eight coming out of this, so this is perfect. <laughs> Um, I mean, just to be brief, one of the first things that comes to mind, uh, our, our elder team has been walking through for the past couple of years, just trying to answer that question of what does it mean for us to be shepherds of our church? You know, we really do want to answer that call, um, to shepherd the church that, that God has placed us here very intentionally. What does that look like for us? What does it mean for us? And some of the things that have come out of that conversation is, we want to put the word out there. We want each of us to have a role in communicating God's word to the people of the church. And that looks differently for each of us. I mean, obviously I have a clear platform for that. They somehow, for some reason, give me a microphone every week and I get to get up there and, and talk about God's word. But, but each of them has a role to play in that. And some of that is behind the scenes discussion. I have really valuable moments of discussion with our elder team of, all right, I have this sermon coming up and here's what it says. And I want to process this with you. And that's been so helpful and them having a role in shaping the church. But in direct ways, we have 
um, Sunday school teachers and we have mentors and we have small group leaders and uh, people who or our elders take opportunities to share their testimony. These are all different ways that they can put God's word first. I mean, Michael, you talked about that in at Bethel, that that's one of the things you appreciate about your congregation is their love for the word. And I love that. And and every church is, you know, on a spectrum for how much, you know, maybe their love for the word is. And we want to make sure no matter where we're at, we're growing our church's love for the word of God. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And so that's just one of the first, I mean, there's a number of things we could talk about, but we've tried to be really intentional with how do we grow um, their love for the word. And and just real quick, the second one is just how do we care for the church? And COVID has challenged that. The ways that we cared for the church pre-COVID is not how it is now. And we've really evaluated, you know, we had to do some things differently for a while, but then as we come back to whatever normal means, we're going, oh, maybe there's some things we, we weren't doing well or we could do better. And so part of that piece is as shepherds, you know, as overseers, elders of the flock, how do we care well for the church? And some of that has been visitation as a team. Some of it's been phone calls. And I don't mean like all eight of us showing up at the hospital. That would be weird. Uh, but, you know, sharing that burden and, and all being equipped to be a part of that. Um, and we want to make sure that we're caring for not just the people that have been there, but even, you know, we talk about when a new face walks in the door, we want we want to be the first ones that walk up, you know, one of the eight of us uh, elders to to reach out and say, hey, you want to grab lunch? So those are just some of the things. I mean, there's so many metrics, so many different examples of things we could look at to say this is what faithful shepherding is. Um, and so thanks for the the tee up on a <laughs> future podcast episode. Well, and I think you're, you're articulating, and, and what I, I think I'm finding more and more is, is, is missing with guys is a, you, you, what you're answering there is, is, is cultivating a clear vision for what faithfulness looks like. And, and, you know, given the, the difference in context um, between a rural pastor and, you know, I mean, a, a pastor of a much larger congregation or somebody just in a different context, um, I'm, I'm just finding a lot of guys are discouraged because they, they're not, they're not doing the same stuff Piper's doing. And, and they're not doing the same stuff that, you know, the, the, I, don't, I don't have the same, you know, kind of pop to my sermons as, uh, you know, somebody else has and gets, you know, thousands of, of YouTube watches, which again, has such a, like a prideful fleshly, uh, you know, thing mixed in. And, and yet we aren't going to get rid of that, that part of ourselves, this side of heaven either. Uh, and, and so I, I maybe just tee up here at the end, like I, I love this podcast and, and this idea of trying to capture a healthy vision for rural church ministry. Cause it's different. It's, it's different. And, and I think faithfulness in that role in the Lord's eyes is different than, uh, than some of the more well-known guys you're going to get. And I love that, uh, this is a place where you guys can, can we're, we're, we're together. We can kind of regain that vision, I, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's uh, our hope. I, I'm certain that's, that's the heart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've, we've tried to put this together. Um, you know, me and Mike were talking in the last year of, there's a lot of resources out there for pastors, whether you go to a conference or you order books or videos, whatever it is. Um, podcasts even, but there's not a lot for rural pastors or at least from rural pastors. Some stuff says it's targeted at rural and some of it does well, but you know, a lot of the guys that headline those conferences or write the books are in mega churches. And partly just because when do you have time to write a book? If you're wearing all the different hats that a rural pastor has to wear, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless it's in retirement or something, which I mean, I don't even know if that's a thing that we get someday and as rural pastors retirement, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. So we just were like, all right, we don't really have time for this, but we have a little bit of time and this is important. So if we can create a space where there's discussion about what does it mean, as you put it, you know, to be a faithful shepherd in, in a rural church, we hope that, that that's what this is and that it's helpful and speaking with guys like you can help to encourage people. Maybe there's even one thing you talked about today that someone's going, oh yeah, I'm going through that. Yeah, what are you doing? Sometimes it's just helpful to hear, you know, we don't get out of our own uh, church, our own town situation and kind of pick our head up and go, what are they doing over there? You know, well, if you ask someone you trust, another pastor, well, what are you doing to navigate this? I've found that to be one of the most helpful things in ministry. I feel so blessed with, with both of you and other pastors that I'm connected to that I can just call and say, Hey, this came up, like, what are you doing? Cause maybe, maybe I'm not even doing it wrong, but I just don't know. And it's so encouraging <laughs> to be, uh, have a place where you can have that conversation and and I know there's pastors out there that maybe don't have um, that blessing of, of connection and people they trust. And so maybe this can be just one small part of that. Yeah, I think, Michael, what you brought up about the, you know, it's 
that that comparison trap that we can fall into, right? And and Joey, what you had alluded to, and what we've been talking about here is just, you know, how can we move from that comparison to that conversation? Um, mm. Just going, That's you good. know, because yeah, there's that piece where you think, you know, and and Michael, you told the story about the person like, oh, I just went to this thing, like, could we do this this flashy thing? And I, you know, I've had those conversations where in the back of my, you know, I'll say this out loud, but I think in the back of my head, like, well, their soundboard exceeds our annual budget <laughs> and and so not we then, laugh you know, because it's true i mean yeah you're just like there, there are certain things that can happen and and that's 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 not evil to have a soundboard that's more than my church's annual budget that's not a problem um you know that yeah, I don't, I don't have, I don't have beef with that, but that does, like you say, that changes the production value. Um, and certainly, yeah, this last year, if you're, you know, through the last couple of years trying to do the online thing and you're just like, well, this place has been doing online for, you know, 20 years and, uh, you know, we're doing online by hooking up an old iPhone and just really hoping the internet doesn't fail. Yep. Um, and that can be super discouraging. I think for me over the last couple of years, it's just been vitally important just to remember I'm a son. And and first and foremost, my my primary relationship, my primary identity is is I'm a beloved son. I'm a child of God. And it doesn't matter if I have a YouTube channel with millions of followers and I'm headlighting conferences or I'm, you know, doing the bivocational thing in a church that people outside the county maybe will never hear of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and also hearing, you know, I mean, it's, as, as we've, you know, entertained these ideas and talked with other pastors around kind of the conversations we have and just hearing about, you know, the faith, like hearing these stories of, of these just brilliant men and women who have served their congregations for, I was talking to some guy who like, was uh this there was like the, the sunday school teacher and she'd been there for 50 years <laughs> i was just like uh yep you win like I, I mean, that, right. that's awesome you know mm. un- unpaid just, just in and out of season and and she's just like yeah i just don't know if i've like done anything i was like excuse me what <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like you just you just move me like if if nothing else um and just that deep appreciation for you know, recognition again, I'm like the soul's tendency to be distracted by the temporal. And, but just to remember, like we've been placed in our, in our places in this moment for a purpose and to be that city on the hill. And it's like, I, yeah, maybe I could go do something in a larger town or a smaller town or a different church or whatever, but Lord's called me to where I'm at. And it's such a privilege and an honor to be there. Um, and I do, you know, to, to have a, why are we doing this podcast? It's like, I just think that you know, Michael, as you alluded to, I mean, the the rural church is a city on a hill the same way, you know, the one is right downtown and whatever the metropolitan area that's closest to you is. Um, it's all vitally important. And yeah. and yeah, so it's like to, whether you're, you know, you're working in a, you know, whether you drive a $100,000 car to the office or you drive a million dollar combine or somewhere in between, or, you know, you drive an old pickup truck. Like, it's just why, like, who we are as children of God is, is just so awesome and such a privilege to be able to, to be a walking parable of Jesus and to exude what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God is just awesome. Um, so that's good. Well, Michael, we are so thankful for your time. Thank you for being here today, for sharing your thoughts, uh, hearing your perspective on the real church. If listener, if you're still out there, we're so glad that you're still with us. We're thankful for you. And uh, we always want to close with a word of prayer for all of you who are listening or joining us uh, in this community, in this discussion, because we know that it's challenging. We know that it's a joy and a blessing, and um, we want to be a blessing to you. So Mike, do you want to take us out in prayer? love to heavenly father we we thank you for for this this time this this moment this this day that we live um, so many other religions have sacred spaces and you have even made time sacred and so lord may we not see our location or the moment as as something that is that is passing and without meaning but may we be aware of what you're doing in and through us in every moment 
So Lord, we thank you for, for Michael and the work that he's doing, you know, Atana for Joey and what he's doing in Fergus. And we pray Lord that uh, for all of the, the people who are listening to this, that they would be deeply encouraged um, not by our words, but, but by you and what you've done. Our confidence is in your finished work and, and, and we acknowledge the presence of your spirit working in and through us. And so Lord, would you help us to continue to, to be people that invite others to come and follow Jesus. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for joining us, friends. We hope you'll join us next time and uh, have a great week. This is another episode of Ope, I'm a Pastor Now, where Mike and Joey talk about serving a big God in small places. If this has been helpful to you, or if you have questions or a prayer request, feel free to email them at opeimapastor at gmail.com. That's O-P-E-I-M-A-P-A-S-T-O-R at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow them on the socials, feel free to do so at Instagram at opeimapastor. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Shepherd well.